Welcome to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio WPSC on the campus of William Patterson University. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. And I'm the good doctor, Steve Marconi. Our show is a little different this week, isn't it, Steve? That's right. This show, taken from our Spring Music Management Seminar Series, features adjunct professor Steve Leeds interviewing the GM of Beyonce's Parkwood Entertainment, Leanne Callahan Longo. We'll hear them talk about how she started working with Beyonce, behind-the-scenes info about the making of Beyonce's surprise album release. And more, but we don't want to give it all away. Listen hard, because there's some great stuff here. Don't you agree, my co-host with the mo-host? Whatever you say. Be sure to go to musicbiz101wp.com to sign up for our newsletter, read about current events in the music industry, and learn more about our podcast. Yes, our podcast is available on Stitcher Radio. You can download Stitcher for free on your iOS or Android device. Stick around and listen to this insightful interview. Then come back next week at 8 p.m. for another great Music Biz 101 and More radio show. Free advice about the music industry every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Take it away, Steve Leeds! Thank you for coming again tonight. Um, As I talked about previous weeks, um, this semester is all about powerful women in the entertainment industry. Um, Tonight's um, event, I just want to dedicate it a little bit up front. Um, There was a woman who passed away recently at the age of 92. Her name is Miriam Beanstock. Um, Probably never heard of her, probably don't know who she is. Um, She was married to a publisher, uh, but her first marriage was to a dentist. And when two Turkish brothers uh, started a record company, um, they needed financing. And this dentist, doctor, has some money, put up the money, and started what was called National Records. And um, <clears throat> National Records morphed into what became Atlantic Records. And Miriam was married to this dentist, and she ran Atlantic Records um, for many years um, until she um, retired, and she passed away this week. So when you talk about women's role in the entertainment industry, here's a woman who's, you, you might say, an unsung hero who was very much involved, and without her, there would have been no Atlantic Records, as there is today. Um, So as we continue through the semester, um, one of the areas I thought was important, obviously, is uh, management. And uh, I was trying to find a powerful woman in management, and I thought, hmm, and probably one of the more important, most successful commercial artists out there uh, to date is uh, Beyonce. And so I was fortunate enough, I was flipping through Billboard and then I'm flipping through my electronic Rolodex, if you will, and I saw Leanne's there. I said, oh, I should call her and see if she'd do this. So our guest tonight, she's the general manager, Parkwood Mm -hmm. Entertainment, Um, and her name is Leanne Callahan Longo, L-O-N-G-O. Got that right? Yes. Pronunciation? And she's been kind enough to schlep out here to Wayne, New Jersey tonight and grabbed her from her... uh, Midtown office and said, could you come out and talk to some students and tell them about the trials and tribulations of uh, working in the entertainment industry. Um, And so um, what I'd like to do while they're um, trying to figure out the uh, audio side of things here, um, ironically, we're talking about audio, um, is um, Leanne has a very interesting background. She just didn't pop up one day and say, I'm going to be the general manager here. she started out with a pretty interesting career, and we were talking a little bit about it, and a lot of it I wasn't aware of, so I'm gonna ask her um, if she could start things off this evening by 
sharing her experiences and how when you, well, you actually it started even before you were in college, mm -hmm. your, your passion. And so maybe you could start off telling us what you did at the age of 11. Sure. Hi, everybody. Nice to see you all. Um, yeah, when we were talking, I said that um, I have a really vivid memory of the first time I ever thought that I might be interested in the music business. I always loved music. It was always music in the house. I had, um, I'm the youngest of four and by a long distance. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had the benefit of a lot of siblings, you know, kind of introducing me to music very, very young. Um, but I remember being on the beach at 11 years old in York Beach, Maine. And I used to rent fun floats there every summer as a job. But I remember having my transistor radio and I used to bring it to the beach every day. And I remember that he did the moment that I, you know, I always would be fascinated by the voices. You know, why did they have somebody somewhere talking at people? Um, why did they do events? And it really kind of crystallized the day that they were talking about a promotion and the radio station van went by. And it just really piqued my curiosity and to a point where I still remember to this day that that was kind of the, the moment I thought about there must be a business behind this business. And radio, while I know I tune in to listen to the music, kind of just, you know, took me years later to figure out the, the actual business model of advertising and all of that. But I remember just kind of having that natural interest in it. Um, so when I went off to college in Boston, I'm from Massachusetts, born, raised, went all the way from Dedham to Boston College, a whole 30 minutes away. Um, but um, I started doing radio internships uh, at WBCN and then at WBMX and KISS 108, and, um, which actually the contacts made at my last internship led to my very first job out of college. And, you know, took a job as a publicist because, you know, my, the woman who was my mentor at the time in radio said, it's a great foundation for whatever you might do in life. And, you know, as I said to Steve, I, I knew immediately I didn't love the job, but it very quickly taught me to be fearless, to pick up a phone that at the worst thing that anybody can ever do, you can always ask any question, the worst thing that's gonna happen is they're gonna say no. And you know, the sooner you kind of deal with that, anything is possible. But in kept in touch with the contacts, which ultimately brought me back to working in radio. Um, I worked in radio as a marketing director uh, for two radio stations in Boston, um, WBMX and WEGQ, which was kind of a pop, adult-leaning station and a classic rock station. Um, and then after getting to know more people in the industry and in the label business, I was fortunate that at the time when the Atlantic representative was leaving, vacating a position as a New England regional, they asked me if I'd be interested in the job. Seemed like a good progression from radio. I was ready to kind of take a new adventure. And um, I said, just, you know, this, that was probably one of my most favorite jobs ever in the music business. You know, it was in the 90s and, you know, we were successful in selling lots of records and it was a really fun business. And I just enjoyed it so much learning to kind of work with an artist hand in hand and how, you know, every radio spin and every opportunity could lead to a bigger piece of the story. You know, and I was blessed to work with some really amazing artists. You all hear me okay? We're good? Okay. Um, yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm loud. I'll be. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, and it would, again, just, you know, being able to watch it start, you know, some artists like, you know, Matchbox, one of the first show I ever saw of them, they played in a club to maybe 400 people. And my very last show before I moved to New York to become a national, they performed at, you know, an amphitheater in front of 20,000. And I just really enjoyed being part of that, being part of, you know, making goals and dreams happen. And, you know, I knew very early I did not want to be a performer. That was not, I, I you know, signed up for the, the high school play and I remember the moment that I had to step out on that stage and being absolutely terrified. <laughs> you know, I knew in that moment, ooh, I don't like all these eyes on me. So let me, you know, find a different path in the business that's really more about the business. Um, so after become, being a local, I'm, they moved me to New York to be a national. That time I did alternative, and, uh, alternative rock and AAA promotion, national capacity. Um, after that, I kind of got to the point where I felt like I'd done all I'd wanted to do in radio. It was time to look for a different path, a different adventure. Um, and at that time, Sony had an opening to do video promotion and TV. So, you know, while very much the same principles of promotion and all of that, it was an entirely different medium. So that was really amazing. And when I went over to Sony, that's when I was blessed to meet um, Matthew Knowles and Beyonce. So for five years, we kind of got to know each other in the capacity that I was always their representative if they were, you know, doing a VMAs or a BET Awards or, you know, anything on that, that level. And um, after a few rounds of, you know, layoffs and every and years there, it was time to, it was my, my number was up. And I said to Steve, you never forget your first phone call and your first email. My first email was from Matthew Knowles with the simple message that as one door closes, another opens. And within a month's time, I had made a plan to go work for him, um, doing the day to day. It was at a time when Beyonce had moved to New York and their operations were out of Houston. So they wanted to set up a shop here and kind of be able to service her, you know, like more locally. It wasn't just kind of wasn't working. So got to set up an office and, you know, kind of get off to the races of, of joining the management business, um, which is incredible. So three, three years ago, she and her dad, you know, parted ways professionally and she wanted to open her own company. She really wanted to kind of be a businesswoman and be a visionary in a business that, you know, she loved, but wanted to be able to do things her own way. Wanted to be able to create new, different, and, you know, just kind of, if we can dream it, we can do it. So, and in three years, we've been really, really blessed to do some incredible things. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been an amazing experience to, to utilize all the tools that I kind of picked up along the way and all the different jobs I, I did um, really prepared me for this. Um, you know, you st I still learn something new all the time, but at the end of the day, I think having a diverse background in a lot of different facets has really served me well to, to kind of take it on and you know, do the best I, I can. I like it. your diversity of your musical tastes. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not, certainly not a one-trick pony. Um, I mean, as reading, you talked about your love of Def Leppard and Barbara Streisand. And, That's right. And, and, you know, and you grew up on things like Jethro Tull and Led Zeppelin. And here you are, 
you know, working with arguably one of the most successful female contemporary artists. So it's interesting that you have that background and here you are doing something totally different mm -hmm. musically. So um, can you talk a little bit about the structure of um, the, the entertainment company? Because I noticed uh, just looking online, I mean, it's not, it's a small company, but it's not tiny. Mm -mm. Um, yeah, we, we, we have about 30 employees now. Wow. It's just really incredible. <laughs> I, I can't believe, like I look around and count and it's like, wow, how did we grow to here? When we started it, we were maybe eight of us getting on a train and let's just, let's go. And as we filled in the, the gaps, we are, um, we are a full service company. We do management, of course, but we also do music. We do a lot of video, a lot of content. Um, that is really a big, interesting, you know, and I think very viable thing these days you know it, it, it's the the old model of video is dead but content is certainly important um, in addition to we do marketing we do you know I mean we basically are, are kind of again if we need it we do it and it, it, pretty much all of it in-house we utilize our partnerships you know she's we're in a joint venture with Sony but you know when you get to a certain level you want to control what you do. And our last album, we read no other choice but to try to, you know, to really kind of do it on our own um, as quietly as possible. But, but back, back to the structure of the company just for a second. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> in addition to serving as general manager and, you know, consultant, I guess that's the right word for Beyonce, I mean, you're managing 30 people. Yeah. So that's got to be a new experience for you as well, because in your past you know, life, you were responsible for yourself and getting things done. Absolutely. But now you have 30 people. And so I would imagine on a day-to-day -day basis, one of the challenges for you is managing. I always find doing the job is almost easy compared to having to manage people. A hundred percent. The hardest part of the job is managing the people. And it's always something different. And just when you think things are good and you've, you know, taken the time to try to figure it out and make everybody happy, something else happens. And, and um, I had, you know, a, a very, very successful business person tell me once, get, get over it. Because it will eternally and always be the hardest part of operating any business is the people. So, but, I mean, your, your background, you, you didn't have to manage, I mean, so this is like on-the-job training for you, almost like every working. day. Every day. Every day. You know, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but cliches are true. Why they become cliches, I guess. You know, I really do learn something new every day, big, small, and even to this point, you know, I have moments where I still have huge epiphanies of, wow, how'd it take me this long to figure that out? But um, I also think that you know, we work in a human business. It's a part that people forget, that artists are humans, they're people, they're, they're deep feelers. You know, so your business can, you know, be whatever, you, you know, model you want it to be, but it's always going to have to adapt and evolve to, you know, whatever, whatever they're feeling, whatever they're, you know, want to express, whatever they want to create. And then as you grow that too, you want to um, be able to kind of adapt to different scenarios for different right. people. Yep. Um, 
and managing the people, you know, it's having that balance of creatives and structural. Like I, I feel like I'm on ever, the creatives, you know, we seem to find them a little more easily. The structural people who can understand creativity and truly motivate creatives while still keeping them on course to deliver and, and get something done on budget and on time is forever the challenge. I always find artists, musicians, their brains almost work totally different than everyone else. And most of the people here play a musical instrument, so some of you probably can relate to that. But it just seems that the creative community has a different way of looking at things. And so you're like, have to balance these two areas because obviously Beyonce is a very, very creative person and she's a true artiste. And then you have, you know, I'm sure there's a finance guy and, and somebody who does business affairs and it's two very different worlds. Absolutely. So I haven't had the um, privilege of being in your office, but I understand hearsay that <coughs> you have a, a, a sign in your office. <laughs> I do. And it's almost, I, I suppose one could say it's your mantra. And at the uh, risk of offending anybody here, I apologize, but um, it says get done. Yes, it does. Okay. So... That's, that's, that's your goal every day. Every day. And so. And forever. I mean, every day, every project, every, everything. Cause you know, that's the other thing when you work in an artistic environment, you can brainstorm, you can talk, things can evolve and change endlessly, you know? And you know, but did you accomplish anything? Cause at some point, if it doesn't progress, if it doesn't get done, you're gonna overspend, you're gonna not deliver, and, and, you know, you're going to turn your, you know, you're going to let the, you, especially in an artist, you can watch them kind of, you know, spin endlessly. Especially if you really care about your art, it's your baby, you know. And, and I think that most people, if they're honest, would, you know, without a deadline, without a reason that it has to end, you know, how do you ever think it's enough? How do you ever think it's good enough if you're in any way critical and, you know, it, it's not healthy? And, you know, as you said, the, the bottom line of it certainly isn't. Time is money, especially when you're making anything. And we work in an industry where, you know, the, the old models of, of how you would, you know, monetize and make back are, 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 are gone. So you have to be able to kind of look for new opportunities and reinvent those things and maybe try to do better each time at managing, you know, how you spend and, you know, and that's where, you know, thank God, you know, Beyonce also has a lot of, she's really good about wanting to learn, you know, and wanting, and always wanting to be a businesswoman behind her artistry. There are certain things that, you know, she'll want what she wants when it comes to the artistic side, but she always tries to do it with a nod to, there comes a point where it's not smart business. And you do have to pay attention to that. You know, we've all heard the horror stories of artists, you know, you think they're, they're hugely successful, yet they have nothing, so. Throw out a, a couple of phrases and ask you to respond to them. Um, one is hashtag old rules. <laughs> you want me to just respond to what you say? Well, I, th I think you have a philosophy that goes along with that, um, where um, the way you treat people. Um, as well, you, I mean, I, I think you said, you know, be nice to your intern. Oh, yes. Be nice I to the receptionist. I believe you should be nice to everybody. You know, I'd like people to be nice to me. And I also think that, you know, for, I was really blessed to have a great mentor, very young, 
a woman who really embraced me, taught me that women should and can help each other. And, you know, and that's true too. You know, we, we fight for fewer jobs and, you know, some of that has, has grown and changed, but, you know, the music industry is still a very male dominated business. So, but I believe that, you know, you should help each other and have a good community, but also just in general, be nice to people. You know, I really find that, you know, why, you know, we are a demanding crew when we wheel in for a Beyonce performance or anything that we do, we are very specific. We want it the way, you know, we take it very, very seriously. And I find that most people are happy to engage and help work with us because you're respectful and you're, and you're, you know, just nice <laughs> as opposed to, you know, I could run and, you know, and throw my, you know, toys down and say, I want it this way or she won't go on. But, you know, one, that's not fun for me. And I'd rather, you know, I believe I, we get more because people want to help you. And, you know, I also do like mantras and mean people suck. So, and it's the world full of them. And, you know, a lot of it is ego or just cause you feel, you know, if you were, you know, I don't know, bullied or whatever as a child or, you know, whatever your reason, I just, at the end of the day, I'd like to think that what really matters is if you look yourself in the mirror, you're proud of you. So. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, this semester is about the power and the powerful women in the entertainment industry. And, and certainly Beyonce would be at the top of the list, certainly. And it, it was a, she had that song, I guess it was back when she was with Destiny's Child, <clears throat> Independent Women. Mm -hmm. And she talked about self-reliance. And so, as you referenced earlier, the reality of it is it's a male-dominated industry. And so, you know, trying to steer clear of the cliches, trying to put this in proper context of how you as a woman found things along the way that were helpful to you because you were a woman, as opposed to some of the things that might have tripped you up or in a male-dominated world, guys would expect you to behave differently and like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, she's that way. Because, you know, you're, you're a woman, you're running an organization for a woman, and it's, you know, but obviously you're dealing in a, in still mm -hmm. with men uh, in all different aspects. So I just wondered if there was anything that's come up or your advice for any of the students here mm -hmm. from a female perspective. Um, I guess, you know, I've always found, too, that, you know, it depends on the circumstance. Sometimes people are, you know, they're a little taken aback. I'm very direct and very honest. I'd rather hit, you know, and don't get it wrong. There is, I've, sometimes I gotta take the breath and just, okay, spit it out, get it done, make the phone call, you know, say what you need to say. But I've, it's always worked really well for me to be direct, to hit, headed off at the pass. We work in a business where a lot of times, you know, you'll have people tell you what you want to hear to get what they want, and then it'll blow up into a big mess. And for the most part, you have to deal with each other on future projects, so you lose credibility, and you also, you know, and again, who want, I don't want to deal with that. You know, I'd rather be, state what I want up front. And I think sometimes I would catch people by surprise that I, you know, I'd come off like, you know, fearless or whatever you want to call that. 
And like I said, trust me, oftentimes I was very, very nervous doing it, but I felt like if I'm not more assertive, if I don't work harder, if I don't give everything, you know, I can do, um, then that's on me. And, and, you know, I'd rather get the, the ugly out of the way and the business pieces sorted so that then we can just work it out, you know? And, and again, back to the men, my mentor, and she always taught me, you know, it is super important to do what you say you're going to do. It is even more important to say what you can't do. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with saying that you don't know something and there's nothing wrong with saying, I, don't, I can't deliver on that for this reason. And I find that people have appreciated it. You know, it, it, it has, you know, all you have in this business is your word and it comes down to it in many aspects. You know, that it, we work in a relationship business. So if you think about that at its core, um, it's a little messed up how the gaming that goes on. And so I guess, you know, my advice is those two things. They've served me really well is, you know, is definitely be clear. It's, it's okay. People will appreciate you more, actually, if you're honest with what you can't do. <clears throat> but I think what you're laying out are, are rules or scenarios that would apply both male and female. But I, I'm just curious if there's any advantage or disadvantage you find in the entertainment industry being a woman. Yeah, I guess it depends on who you're dealing with. You know, I've definitely... You know, so you'd like to think people, you know, take you in, but, you know, let's be real, they do. You know, that's part of summing up who you are. And they're, you know, you're going to come into contact with people who are going to think you're weaker because you're a woman, or some are going to be more afraid of you. You know, I've worked for some of the craziest, meanest men in the business, and I'll tell you one thing, that they usually didn't know how, they, 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 they weren't as aggressive with women. So I think at certain companies, it was a blessing. You know, I don't know. You remember Lou Sicarezza, right? Sure. I mean, he was, I mean, his sole purpose at that company was to instill fear and discomfort and competition and all of that amongst the staff. But I'll tell you, as an, as, you know, an, you know, an old Italian, like, he was not as comfortable. He would, you know, I've been, I would hear every name in the book and be called out, you know, all of that was part of it. But I got it far less than the guys did. You know, same with Don Einer. He wasn't, he didn't, he didn't feel as comfortable yelling at the women, I guess, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, yeah. But so, so much for his machoism. You know, I don't know. You know, but but and, and again, don't get me wrong. It, it made me stronger, tougher to work for tough people. But I do think that there was a little bit of of maybe, you know, the dynamic that we're a little nicer. But on the other side, I do think that often, you know, like people would absolutely look at me and think, oh, you know girl, you know, I wasn't going to be as, as sharp or as tough, you know, as, again, tough, demanding, whatever word you want to call it, you know, just being really assertive on behalf of whatever artist I was representing, doing my job. Did I answer it that time? I, th I think so. I think so. Um, um, <clears throat> let's talk about some of the things you've, you've done. Um, Beyonce has a, a clothing does she have a clothing relationship? We just um, are actually embarking on a new partnership. It's a joint venture with Topshop. Okay, so to for those of us who don't know what Topshop is? Topshop is um, probably one of the biggest retailers in the UK. They've just recently come to New York. 
They opened a store and um, I see a lot of people shaking their heads. Yes, so uh, yes, they're coming. Uh, but you know, overseas, they are hugely successful. It's kind of, um, you know, I guess it's, it's, I don't know how I'd describe the clothing that they do. It's kind of, you know, little, it's, it's kind of H&M-ish in that, you know, a lot of styles kind of cycle through and it's very contemporary, but higher end quality. And, you know, what happened was that Beyonce really wanted to, you know, we, we had this, this idea to do a, a kind of an athletic line, kind of fashion and athletic wear. And, you know, everybody's into leggings and comfortable clothes and things of that nature. And it's what she wears every day. Topshop is a place she visited and, you know, would shop there quite a bit. So they were a natural entity to go into business with for a joint venture. And, you know, over the last few years, you know, she's 17 years into the business, which is wow. kind of amazing at 33 years old, which puts her in a, you know, very different, very unique position. Um, but we had a, you know, kind of talked about it a few years ago that she is very blessed that she can do what she wants. And, and, you know, but also what do you want to spend your time doing? You can, you know, like there comes a point where you should make a decision that what business we can we can look at all these other opportunities that are coming our way or we can decide where your true interests lie and go pursue those businesses so we decided that endorsements were not something that she was interested in anymore you know why am i using my face my brand my you know voice to sell someone else's products i'd rather invest in me i'd rather look for businesses that i enjoy doing that feel, you know, that are authentic to me, and let's go figure out how to do that. Let's go look for the things that, you know, really are in the wheelhouse of how we want to spend our time. So what, what will the Topshop deal be? I mean, will she have a line of clothing and a separate boutique within the Topshop? Yes, and there will be an actual line. It will be in every Topshop and also within Nordstrom's, because um, Topshop has a shop and shop right. here too. Um, so yeah, so, and it'll be, it'll be all seasons. We too will now then have to have the responsibility once it's up and running of making sure that we you know, have enough product cycling through the pipeline to always, you know, you hope that you create core items. Like, you know, Topshop is known for their jeans and, and things like, like, so, you know, core products. So we hope to develop our core product for the line and then we'll cycle through other fun, fashionable items and how will I know it's Beyonce? Will they, what kind of signage, or is she going to be, there'll be a photo of her wearing one of her outfits, or? Mm, not really. I mean, she is a partner in it, not to say never, but the goal is not necessarily, she's not the face of the brand. She's, she's the not. creator of the brand. Um, like I said, doesn't mean that, you know, we won't promote it and be very clear that this is the line we're launching, but this is more, you know, her is, you know, this is where she can exercise her creativity in the fashion space as a, you know, a creator. She really is interested in, in clothing. And what's interesting about B is that you can kind of, she can, you know, one day she will show up at the Met, you know, gala in a, some fancy designer one of a kind, but she looks just as comfortable and you see her just as often in jeans and a t-shirt. and. So, you know, from a fashion standpoint, it seems to make sense. There's an authenticity that she can back up. We're going to create clothes that feel, you know, kind of authentic to her person. Not that she, you know, every item has to, you know, she has to wear it, but 
It should feel like her. And, you know, and I will obviously help promote it. We'll be very involved in the marketing of it, but it has to stand on its own as a brand. So it's not <clears throat> like um, an ad in the, in the papers where you'll see a picture of her wearing her clothing and, and say, you know, the implication is like, this is what she wears and it's now available for you. That's not really what she's about at mm -hmm. all. Right, so it's no. more... <clears throat> and again, I mean, maybe we will, maybe we haven't gotten to, you know, we're not at the point where we have to launch. We're about a year away. Oh, still? Okay. Yeah. It takes, fashion business has a hugely long lead time. Right. So um, we are planning now for a launch next spring. And then I think you were involved and there was some venture she had with, with uh, was it Pepsi? Uh-huh. So what was that? That was, um, that was a really interesting, that came out of the Super Bowl. You know, we met around the time we were doing Super Bowl. And, um, it was the Pepsi halftime show, right? It was. Right. It was just changing, too, from Bridgestone, I think, to oh, Pepsi. Oh, yeah, right, that's right. That year. So it was a new year for them. They were a new sponsor to the NFL. We met them, and um, do you know Frank Cooper? I don't. He's awesome. If you ever, I mean, he's the head of marketing, CMO for Pepsi. Ah, okay. um, and just to, we just really got along, and in our, a lot of our initiatives were in line, and you know that was you know that was very much a, a a very interesting adventure too because you know she agreed to be in a commercial, but what was more important was creating like a content development fund to try to do more interesting things together. You know we produced and created the countdown spot that happened right before her performance in our office, so it was. Wow. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we, we kind of got together to do different things that were a little more about, like, engagement and a little more, you know, they were kind of looking for different ideas. And, you know, we were clear. We knew they wanted her in a commercial. And yet we also knew that, you know, let's get together and do some things and utilize some funds for marketing that she could kind of create interesting ideas with versus, you know, it all being about her face in an ad, you know, it, it was it was a bigger kind of relationship. So how, so how did that work out? Because, you know, Pepsi is Pepsi and Beyonce is always, always thinking outside the box. Um, it was I mean, I think it was really good. We actually still have one thing that we're, we have yet to we, we worked on a film series together that um, we're still trying to kind of figure out how the last piece of it comes together. Um, but we did it as an indie series, which was really exciting. And I'm look, you know, even though the deal is over, it was a one-year thing. Like, it was, it was event, you know, it was a, it was a partnership. So we're gonna finish it whenever we finish it, because it took that much time to do it right. right. Um, and you know, but Pepsi, they're a pretty free-thinking band, brand, and they like music. You know, they're very much about you know, being contemporary, being in the music space, so. Any other things that you've worked on with her that have involved outside products? Yeah, we have a few. Um, you know, she's an investor in, um, a, you know, a plant-based food line called 22 Days Nutrition, which so is, a, you know, and it started with that, was from her trainer who, you know, was a vegan and started, you know, got her to be a vegan for 22 days. And the whole ethos of the 22 days mantra is if you, you know, takes 21 days to make a habit. So on the 22nd day, it should be part of your, you know, your, I guess, 
every day have if you if you choose to do that. But she's also very clear in that you know she is not an ongoing vegan every day. But this is a business venture and something that she believes in. She feels better when she does 22 days of of you know plant-based food, and then she'll go off it. You know, big believer in moderation, and you don't always have to do everything to the T. That wouldn't be believable. She's you know a girl from the South who. Right. You know, believes in moderation. You can have a little bit of everything. But that's a business um, that we're in now. Um, trying to think through. I've been through a lot of them. Of, of what? There's so many that we haven't announced yet. <laughs> anyone's, from the, anyone's from the past, though? Well, we just kind of, I mean, our company's only three years old. Yeah, I'm really proud of everything that we've done in three years, but we're only three. Like we're just learning to kind of get our feet. And like I said, we kind of had to let a lot of the you know, old deals expire. So she's no longer the face of L'Oreal. So you know, if we do something in the space of health and beauty, it'll be a joint venture. And we'll do it from a place that she feels where there's a need, where there's an excitement, where we feel like we can fill a void. Um, Children's space is something, you know, we're venturing into now as a mom. It opened a whole new door of things that are interesting to her that just weren't before. You know, she had done like a, you know, voiceover for Wow Wow Woobsy a few years ago. And honestly, she did that because, you know, her nephew was a huge fan. <laughs> and so, you know, the, to this day, it's still one of the coolest things he thinks she's ever done. Um, so, you know, that's a whole new um, endeavor for us going into and you know it, it's it's fun like we kind of like to get it all ready and not necessarily talk about it before we back it up and just do it um let's see so she she did something for what i guess a, a old fragrance for tommy hilfiger oh yeah back in the day yeah, she was the true star she was that was an endorsement deal face of we now have a, we still have an ongoing relationship with Cody, but it's now, you know, after the Tommy Hilfiger expired, she, they did a deal to, you know, it's, it's Beyonce Parfums. So I think we're on our fourth it? pillar and God knows how many flankers around the heat fragrance, which has been very successful. And she, and she was involved, I think, was it, was it a shoe company? Was something, House of Brands? House of Duran? Oh, House of Darion. Darion. Uh, one time she and her mother, you know, were in the fashion business. Um, a few years ago, they sold it to uh, Lian Fong. Wow. So they got out of, the, you know, again, that, but that was really, you know, her mom was, right. you know, back in the day, started, you know, made all their clothes for the girls back when they were Destiny's Child. It was a real family business. And, you know, they've always loved fashion. So it's always been a natural thing to progress into. So she did do that partnership with her mom for, God, like six or eight years. But it was time for, you know, Miss Tina to kind of start to think about relaxing and enjoying her life a little bit. Um, let's talk about the visuals. Um, she's done, I mean, a myriad of videos. We can talk about that for a sec. But I was thinking about some of the movies she's done. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, obviously Dream Girls comes to mind, yep. and the other one Austin which Powers. I found Austin Powers. I thought of Cadillac Records, yeah. which to me was so. 
That's probably one of the roles she's most proud of. That was really an acting experience. You know, that's when she really learned how to, you know, she worked incredibly well with Adrian Brody, who was really giving and really, you know, they really connected. He taught her a lot about acting and, you know, assuming a role and really becoming the character. And, you know, she really did her very best to become Etta James. And, you know, I wish it weren't a small indie film because, you know, I wish more people saw it. It was an incredible performance. And, you know, she's a good actor. Fortunately, she doesn't do it as much. Um, you know, it usually requires a lot of time commitment and it's hard, you know, we, we talk about it a lot and there are opportunities and I think you'll see her act again when the right project comes along. Really? We're producing some films, which um, is also exciting. Wow, yeah. Um, was it, I guess it was last, last quarter, last year, <laughs> you guys decided to, in the tradition of Beyonce, is do something outside the box. Yep. And one morning, people woke up to find there was a new, <laughs> there was a new piece of, pieces of music and visuals to coincide with that. But how, in an industry that's like made up of yentas who everybody talks about, there's no secrets, everybody knows what everybody's doing. She was able to produce and be in, how many videos was it? 17. This woman made 17 videos. A feat, you know, under the usual circumstances is pretty amazing, but the fact she did it and nobody knew about it, other than people who needed to be in the know, plus record an album that nobody knew, and then all of a sudden one day, you know, you open your email or go <coughs> to iTunes, and there's the opportunity to look at 17 videos. Mm -hmm. and purchase a new, a brand new album. And, you know, amazing, the distributor, Sony, was able to keep their mouth shut. And uh, kudos to you guys for pulling off an amazing thing, which, <clears throat> as we discussed on the way here, while at the time it was unique and special and amazing, now everybody's sort of like, oh, yeah, um, I think Drake just did it, right? Mm -hmm. He just, just dropped an album and, you know, oh, here it is, you know. Because it used to be, particularly in the world of urban and hip-hop, and, and this is your expertise more so than, than mine, is you put out a single, and once it gets up enough momentum on the charts, then it's okay to release the album because there's a driver that people have heard that song and they might want to hear the other songs on the record. But in this case, excuse me, in this, on the CD, uh, in this case, it's like, here it is, boom. Mm -hmm. So you want to talk about a little behind the scenes, how you pulled off, I mean, other than, you know, U.S. Special Forces, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's one of the better kept secrets of, yeah. uh, in a while. So do you want to share, sure. you want to share your secrets to. without disclosing any? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's no secret anymore. And, you know, keeping the secret was absolutely, like, I'm super proud of everybody. And yeah, you should be, I yeah. think that, you know, it just goes to show And no you leaks. No leaks, but, well, you know, let me start at the beginning then, because that was another one that came from a really authentic place. When we, you know, she had been recording her record for quite some time, even when we started talking about releasing it. And this was the album where she said, you know, she would, she had come back after her pregnancy. And um, she really felt like, I want to work on this till it's done. I want this to be, you know, I don't want the pressures of a delivery date. And then, of course, you know, like I said, sometimes 
a little pressure to finish is good because it can grow and grow and grow. And she's one of those artists that she records anywhere between, you know, I don't know, 70 to 90 songs sometimes in an album cycle. I mean, she, and then it has to, yeah, she, she it gets crazy. And then, then you gotta hone it down. Um, <clears throat> but it started with having a lot of dialogue about the frustration of leaks. And the fact that, you know, we work in an industry where, you know, you, you ship it off to the plant and then you pray, but you wait and you know, you know, it's gonna leak. So you guys should understand <clears throat> when an artist delivers a master, they're giving up their cherished piece of art to a third party with the hope that they respect it and will keep it under security. And what happens is more often than not, over the years, we found that the leaks in the music industry usually come internally. It's some clerk, you know, there's a guy in the warehouse who's making minimum wage, and then somebody approaches him and says, hey, if you can get me a copy of that, uh, um, I, I'll give you a, a couple hundred bucks or whatever. Because, you know, they ship, when they ship physical goods, um, from the pressing plant because some of the bigger retailers like Target or, uh, or uh, Walmart, Walmart um, so they got to get it earlier. That, so back in the day, now it's Fridays, but it used to be Tuesdays, they'd probably have to get that in like the week before to then break it down and then ship it to all the individual stores. So you can imagine along that chain of production how many interruptions could possibly happen where some clerk making minimum wage like, strips open a box, pulls out one CD, and, you know, and throws it up on, on the internet. So, and that more often than not is the way those leaks happen. Mm -hmm. Or it could be, you know, it could be some less reputable person in the studio as they're mastering it or tweaking it, you know, taking a, an MP3, you know, a flash drive in their pocket. Anyway, it's somebody internally. So for her to be able to do all this, it sidestepped all those possible leaks is, is pretty phenomenal. Now, in this day and age where these physical goods are lesser important, unfortunately, as we talked about, but I'm interrupting, you're telling the story, but I just wanted to explain to you guys that it's not an easy thing. I mean, it's just expected. I have a friend who runs piracy overseeing that um, initiative at Universal, and he just says, you know, it, you just have to expect it's going to leak. Mm -hmm. Every record, every new artist of consequence that matters, it's going to leak. Most recently, there was the Madonna situation. So... For her to pull this off is pretty amazing. So I'm sorry I interrupted. That's okay. No, it, 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 it's all true. So it started with conversations about that and also the filter of modern day media. Everybody's a critic. Anybody with a computer can, you know, can write what they want to say. And you know, the bigger you are, the more people are going to be critical. And you know, as an artist, you know, she really felt. She, want, she had this vision. Let me back even one step further. She knew from day one, once she kind of put her you know, mind around the concept of this album, few things. For the first time, I'm going to unshackle myself from expectation. I'm a grown woman. I'm 30 years old at the time. I've had a child. I'm married. I'm, you know, I don't want to be concerned with what will somebody think if I say a, a curse word? What if, you know, do I have to think about a six-year-old, you know, like I'm going to make a, a grown-up record and I'm going to not care. I just want to let the art flow through me. I want to speak from who I am today in all facets of that. And I want to have a video for every song. So 
Of course, the first thing it goes off, I mean, you, <laughs> we could spend hours and hours talking about the finances of how expensive that is. Oof. Trust me when I tell you, you not, not many artists could have done this. We just, you know, so it was, it was I, I have a vision, here's what I wanna do, and I don't want it to leak, and I want no filter. It'd be really great if we could find out, how do we just give it to the fans? How do we, you know, how do we come up, how do we figure it out? There's gotta be a way. And that's kind of where we started, sitting in a room, talking about these ideas. You know, I did say, you're crazy. This is like, oh my God, like the, the yeesh, like getting the label to go along with it, you know, because- Oh, that had to be fun. Yeah, I gotta tell you though, I give Rob Stringer major props. His first reaction was like, are you kidding me? And then, you know, but within 48 hours, he called me back and he said, I'm in. You know, like, in, but the secret was everything. We were putting all our eggs in one basket, and our one basket was the surprise. Our one basket was, you know, she has got really, really wonderful fans. You know, how about we let them talk about it? How about we let them be excited to discover it? How about if we do this right, they'll actually want to enjoy it as a body of work? Let's see if that can be, you know, important again. Let's see if they, you know, anybody would care if they had the choice to, you know, consume it as an album, you know? And then, you know, like you said, you know, having the visuals too, it was really, it was really exciting. And, you know, we, we looked at every side of it. <clears throat> we talked about what could go wrong. This could all be a hot mess if the secret split, you know, we're screwed, all of that. But it, the risk, it felt right. You know, and she was one of a few artists that could probably get away with doing that. She had, you know, at this point in her career. And it seemed exciting. Again, you know, I said to you before, like, we kind of have another, you know, rule. If it's been done before, we're really not interested. Like, what's exciting, you know, that you can look at this business and you can complain about what's not the same. And, or you can look at opportunity and think that now's the time you can try anything. What's the worst that's gonna happen? It doesn't work out okay, oops, you learn from it, do it different the next time. There's far less, you know, at least you tried something different. Um, so, you know, we tried to do some safe projections of what we thought, and we also tried to, you know, figure out, like, you know, there's a little, whole lot of finger crossing, and honestly, we sat in the office the night we launched it. It's really funny to hear you say Friday. I didn't know, is that a really a new day? Because we dropped it a Thursday at midnight. <laughs> well, I think, I think it and made people rethink stuff. Yeah. Well, that was the other part, because we, you know, there was a minute when they were like, you know, okay, well, we have to have it by mind. And we said, but, you know, if they don't know it's coming, and it really doesn't matter, why well, does it have to be Tuesday? Well, because if the record company mentality is, Beyonce album is a major event, and if you put it out Friday, you're going to lose sales from Wednesday and Thursday, right. and oops, we're not going to have a great chart debut, and oh exactly. my God, that's going to be... And we knew that too. We knew that with this, that we were probably not going to come in at number one, and oh my God, the horror. So what? You know, like at some point you got to say, but let's look at, you know, again, it's back to maybe we will. It depends on a, how excited it is, but you, but you got to be willing to say, does it really matter? At some point, one more chart position, one more whatever, is that the most important thing? And the Thursday at midnight release seemed more exciting from an event standpoint. What did you do internationally? How did you handle that? Well, we went global. Well, that was when, you know, like I said, we kind of had the framework of what we wanted to do. Then it was our challenge to go find the partners to, who could actually make this happen. 
So at the time, I mean, Apple was really the only, iTunes was the only, fact, the only consideration that could be global. And, but boy, was it a quick education in the fact that they are not as meaningful you know, in some countries right. as others. But you have choices to make. They were absolutely the right partner. Well, you they, and you learned. Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, um, but they, too, what we knew is in their ethos, they were very good at keeping secrets, too. They understood that, you know. And I think that the secret thing was really fascinating. Like, we only told someone if you needed to know, you knew. But you were also told, you know, like, if, you, if this blows up, we've blown it all. So what's more important, your ego to say you know or the good of the project? And well, being proud of, of working on a team, it's, doing something it's amazing. different. It's just amazing globally you're able to, because the, a lot, another way the leaks happen is one of the territories isn't paying attention and they give it to iTunes or something the night before they're supposed to. And then yeah. We literally had, we watched it upload <laughs> to the, you know, like it had to ingest through, you know, right. whatever they ingested Sony. But I literally started, because the, the other thing was, is we are not pushing the live button till we know it works, which means that it was actually live for an hour without, you know, it was open. If you have, and somebody in, I think it was Manchester, England, actually happened to Google at that moment, put in their browser, you know, www.itunes backslash Beyonce. At the, the hour it was, How and random. he wrote, and he was the very, very first, I think it was a tweet. Rob Stringer actually seeked him out. He wanted to bring him to America. And, and to the thing, because, you know, he, his, it was so hilarious. He just put a boom, and he posted the album before we actually made the announcement. So there was a little, but that was the one guy. Um, but that was the other thing. You can't, the pressure, you could not work. Right. You know, God forbid, that would be worse. We don't go if it doesn't work. So we sat in the office, we downloaded it, we made sure it worked, and then it was like, okay. But we also did not give it to the plant. And trust me, we had every conversation of, please, we started three days in advance, we'll hire security, everybody will sign an NDA, we'll confiscate phones. No, we were, we were so phys absolutely, physical was delivered the day, we, the, that day we launched. So they were not allowed to go into, and we had to make a fast plan to get it we had a week. It, it took a week. Between, to, to, to get the physical out. Yeah, to get it manufactured and delivered. So what, okay, so two things. One, what does Amazon say to you? Because you gave it to iTunes, so they're mad. Okay, so they're upset. Oh, well. And then what do you do about all the retailers? They're who, mad. They're mad too. But we try to, you know, we, again, we discussed it all. We knew who was going to be mad. Everybody was up at midnight that Thursday night with their call list. Call your, you know, biggest contact, you know, Get them on the phone as quickly as you can and hope that they will understand. And again, we were so you standing called, behind. You called, those, you called those people and said, hey, um, just a heads up. Here's what's going down. Um, you're going to get it in a week, but just wanted you to know. It's, it's up. It's out. We couldn't even Oof. trust a day or you couldn't. No, I know. You know, that, and that, had to be, had that had to be a fun call for oh, the salesperson. Poor Darren oh. Stupak, yes. The head of sales at Sony. I mean, he, he and Steve Kennedy, I mean, they had the worst jobs of trying to, you know, having to go through that, because I'm sure it was awful. And were there but, some retailers who dug their feet in and said, we're not going to carry this record? Well, yes, it was quite public. The Target <laughs> chose not to. Well, this, it's interesting, because, you know, Walmart, well, not happy. You know, the, typically the biggest, always historically the biggest seller of Beyonce music. That's where our core fan lived, shopped. But we went to them with, you know, 
this is why we did this. It was about the leaks. It was about being innovative. It was about trying something new. But hey, we appreciate you. And we'd like to, you know, do something with you a week, you know, yes, it'll be a week into it. But, you know, that's the other thing. Everybody gets so caught up on day one when, you know, you like to think you have an album cycle and you like to have waves of different things. So luckily we were able to, you know, cook up a plan with Walmart it's like, you know, we're open. What do you want to do? And Give they, us some extra bonus tracks. Is that it? No. Mm -mm. No, that's, there was one piece of product, period, for everybody, whether it was digital or physical. And, um, but she agreed that we did, a, we did an in-store appearance because she was um, on tour at the time. And she went in. It was Christmas. We did a surprise appearance in a Tewksbury, Massachusetts Walmart where she walked in, grabbed a cart, and started handing out gift cards to people. So we were able to stay for about 45 minutes before it got a little where's crazy. Tew where's Tewksbury? Tewksbury is, um, I think it's, in, it's, it's outside of Boston, about 30, 30 miles. So she was playing Boston that so night. So it's a suburb. Yeah. It was a suburban So, so I happened to be store. in Tewksbury, Walmart, and all of a sudden, yes. this attractive woman walks in with a shopping cart and starts giving me gift cards. Yes. Yeah, I guess I'd be pretty happy it if I was bad. Mr. Walmart. Yeah. So they, um, so they agreed to take the record. We did the promotion. We offered Target, you know, to do something. They weren't interested. So if they I go to Target today, will they have the album? Now you can, but of, it took of, almost a year. Not that they sell a lot of catalog, but... Yeah, I think when we, had, we, we launched the Deluxe, they finally took it. But, you know, but what's interesting is not having Target, Starbucks saw an opportunity. Oh, yeah? At the time, you know, they were carrying very few selections, but um, we have a nice relationship with them, and Howard read that, you know, Target wasn't taking it. So they masterminded this plan to have us, we shipped 65,000 albums into every Starbucks within 48 hours of release, which made everybody mad because you know how the business works. Typically for Starbucks, I don't know what the lead time is, right. but it's 10 weeks long. It's long. So they were like, what do you mean they could put a record in stores in two days if they want to? Wow. But they wanted to. And, and it was an opportunity for them to kind of, you know, and, and honestly, you know, to this day, it was, you know, Target was quoted as saying, you know, you know, it messes, you know, if it's released digitally, it messes with your projections, but you weren't projected. It didn't exist, right. you know, and, and again, but, but the opportunity at Target was, I mean, with, at Starbucks was great. And I'll bet the Sony sales staff got an education. Oh, yeah. On a number of levels. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't easy, and it's a, it's a, you know, like I said, I think that they could be tortured, you know, they had other artists to consider, bigger relationship. For us, it's just us, and, right. you so know, they could hide behind it. It was absolutely what she, you know, she, she, her idea, but. So, obviously, the next release she has will not be handled that way, because done that, been there, and we got to come up with something new. Probably. So, yeah. so your challenge next time she is in the studio and delivers what is called an album. Okay, so now what are we doing, Leah? Mm-hmm. And we'll try to think about, you know, maybe a different, so, you know, slightly you different way really of doing it. So, you guys have some interesting ideas. After class, you could whisper to her. Yes, in her please. Because you can imagine that moment when somebody walks in with a finished project and goes, okay, what are we doing? Yeah. So I'm sure she'd be uh, open. I would absolutely. Wow. Okay. Um, so your background, when you were at Sony, you were doing visual videos, mm -hmm. servicing MTV, BET, CMT, and whatnot. So you know what it's like to crank out one video <laughs> from a production point of view. So 
How, can you explain how you do 17 videos? I mean, what was the lead time to do 17 videos? Well, it's funny, we, we did, oh God. Most of it was done between, yeah, I think we really kicked in August to December. And she was on tour. And you kept everybody's, so we mouth, were, everybody's mouth kept, was kept shut yep. about that. We basically, we, we were hiding in plain sight in many ways. You know, we go back, there was definitely, there's pictures often taken and we would do a pickup on a street in Australia, a pickup shoot real quick um, for one shoot for the No Angel video. And it got picked up in the press as she's doing a photo shoot. No one paid attention. Everybody just thought, oh, Beyonce's doing a photo shoot. She's on tour, whatever. Um, I, at one point, we had like every post house in New York working. We still can't believe they don't talk to each other, you know? And, and again, if you really, you know, enlist people to be in it with you and you tell them how important it is not to give up, you know, let's, you know, like keep the surprise so the art can be unfolded, you know, and released the way you want it to be. Each person, they fell in line, but we told none of them how it all connected. And Sony didn't know you were doing this either at the time. Um, I'm trying to think how far in advance. I think by then Rob knew. I don't know how many, you know, they, it stayed pretty tight. In a, in a very, you know, there were maybe four to six people at Sony that knew for the most part until they, they had to go wider. So you started shooting videos back in August for a December release, right? Yes, and it was hard, because again, she was on tour, so we were working pretty much every off day, every in between, sometimes before a show. Um, it, definitely the, the breaks, we were really full out. Um, yeah, and it came down, <laughs> poor Jonas Ackle. He just thought we were crazy. The last two videos we shot were superpower and haunted. And he kept saying, but I need a few more days. And I'm like, I can't give it to you, Jonas. And he was like, what the hell? You don't even have a, you know, you don't even have a, like, what? I'm like, I can't give it to you. I need you to finish. Look, I know this is terrible. I know it's the holiday. I know all of this. I know we're pushing everybody to their limits, but I can't give you a day past this date. You know, and it was pretty much... It wasn't long, because, I mean, you know, the good thing was we were doing a digital ingestment, you know, delivery first. But it still meant we still had to have it. Everything had to test. Sure. Everything had to be QC'd. So it was still a few days in advance to do all that before we actually, but it was days. So we really pushed it right up to the boundary of the end. We shot the last video in the freezing cold streets of New York in the middle of the night. I was calling my little cousin at home, like, what do you guys do? Were you, you home? It was 11 o'clock. I need you and your friends to come out and be extras. And we shot it like on St. Mark Street. And he, do you there? You're shaking your head. Yeah. Jealous. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, it came down to that. Sometimes we were like literally calling our fa you know, family and friends like, hey, come, you know, want to come be in a video? <laughs> so it was... It was really fun, but it, it was as crazy and manic and exhausting as it was. It was exciting. We felt like we were part of something, and we, we had a mission. Thank you for coming here tonight. Thank you for having me. And giving us your time. Thank you. You've been listening to William Patterson University's Music Management Seminar Series on Music Biz 101 and more. If you missed any of this, just head over to our website, musicbiz101wp.com, or Stitcher Radio on your mobile device and download our podcast. I think it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye now. For Steve Leeds, our special guest, our esteemed and very valuable producer, Philip Gorachowski, and the good doctor, Esteban Marconi, I wish you an adios!